If you have your Bible, um, please open it up to the, the book of Philippians, chapter 2. And if you're using one of the Pew Bibles, I forgot to look up what page that is to let you know, but you'll just have to look in the table of contents and find Philippians if you need help. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to sing, right? Um, when we see somebody sing special music in church, for example, with a wonderful voice, we think, wow, that is beautiful. They are so gifted, so talented. But for me, what's more beautiful is standing here with you all singing in a church where I'm glad that in some, as the music leader here, um, I'm not glad that we have 30-year-old speakers and the musician in me wants a little bit higher tech, better equipment. Um, I love loud music, so I like loud music, right? Um, but I'm so glad that these maybe physical hindrances, right, in a way, allow me to hear our congregation singing. And what is so amazing about a congregation singing together is that one person singing to God by themselves is already a beautiful thing. But a whole congregation of people uniting their voices to worship God, that's even more beautiful. It's even greater than the sum of the parts, right? Because here we are, the body of Christ, singing God's praise. When... We think about movies, right? Um, there's often a, a uniting theme in the, the stories that we enjoy. There's often a group of people who come together to accomplish a task and a purpose. And um, th- those appeal to us even more than the, the superhero style of there's one savior who goes and saves the day. We identify with war movies, right? Um, saving Private Ryan, because there's a group of people working together to accomplish a purpose. We identify with movies like The Lord of the Rings, right? Because this diverse group of people come together to accomplish an impossible task. And that's what we're going to read here in Philippians. That's what Paul is calling us to do as a church. He's calling us to be more, <clears throat> excuse me, more than just lone rangers living out our Christian faith on our own. He's calling us to be one body, to be one people working for one purpose. So let me read Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, and then we'll pray and get started. Paul says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, 
But in, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Of God the Father. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've not left us um, alone to grope in the dark for truth, but you've plainly and clearly spoken to us. You've given your word in the, in the scriptures to be a light to our path. You've not left us alone as a body of believers here, this community to figure it out on our own, but you've given us guidelines. You've given us wisdom to follow that we might flourish. I pray, God, that now you would guide my mouth as I speak, that you would prepare ears and minds and hearts here to listen to you, to receive what you have for us. And more than anything, I pray that it would take fruit. I pray that we would take these truths and Put them deep in our hearts in a way that they would be fleshed out every week in our congregation. And I pray that it would be to your honor and your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So here we, here we have the Apostle Paul speaking from prison. Um. And the, the Philippians had sent a gift to him and someone to, to serve him in his need. And um, that person had kind of fallen ill. And Paul's taking advantage of the opportunity to send that person back to them. And he's writing this letter so that they will um, be encouraged. And he, he writes a lot about the same things in Philippians. We hear... Um, the word joy or rejoice over and over again. Um, we hear the idea of standing firm frequently, and we see the idea of being one, being unified often. And here in chapter 2, um, he, he starts off and he says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Um, just setting the stage for what he's about to command them. We're going to follow his line of thought, and we're going to see that he's going to command them to complete his joy by being humble and unified. And he's going to show that by not only giving them the command to be humble and live um, in unity one with another, um, but he's going to contrast it by what they shouldn't do. And he's also going to show them that Christ has been our example in doing that. So we have somebody to follow 
and we have somebody to, um, to somebody who sort of forged the path ahead. So we're not going alone or just going on abstract thought. We have this idea fleshed out. And lastly, we're going to see that there's a greater purpose than just our unity. We're going to see that it's not just for our good that God calls us to be one. It's for Christ's glory. It's so that Christ would be exalted and glorified. So as Paul sets the stage, he lists these good things. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, it's his way of saying something like, if these mean anything to you, or if these mean anything to me, um, or these are good things, all of them, but if you really want to encourage me, if you really want to move me to praise God, then in verse 2, complete my joy. And he's going to say how to do that. First of all, he's going to say, complete my joy by giving, he's going to give us a command, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now, what strikes me about this, this verse is that he seems to be just repeating himself, basically, right? And when you see in the scriptures an idea expressed repeatedly, it means it's important, right? It means that's what he's trying to say. It's the same reason why when Pastor Jeremy or Wayne or I are teaching, we might say the same idea in three different ways so that you understand this is the point. This is what's important. So here Paul gives the command to complete his joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord, and being of one mind. Now, there are some traditions who would make that out to be just a doctrinal statement, right? Um, I can think of a certain... Uh, churches where they have a confession of faith that completely dictates what they believe. And so I have one of my favorite theology books that I go to when I'm thinking about an issue is um, Robert, uh, a systematic theology by a guy named Robert Raymond, and he's a, a Presbyterian, and he basically follows the, the guideline of the Westminster Confession of Faith. And as a good Baptist, right, I tend to want to reject that a little bit. I push back, and I think, well, but I don't want you to comment on what the Westminster Confession of Faith says about this issue. I want you to comment on what the Bible says about this issue. Now, I'm not saying confessions of faith are evil or bad. I'm just saying, being of one mind, Paul is not saying, subscribe to exactly the same set of beliefs. Rather, He's taught, the, the word doesn't, um, the Greek word doesn't communicate the idea of um, agree with one another on an abstract level. It's have the same focus. Be like-minded in some translations it might be. Be of the same mindset. Fix your gaze on the same goal. So if we're going to follow Paul's command to complete his joy by being of the same mind, it means that as a body, we need to look to the same goal. We need to have the same um, 
the same end in mind. We need to fix our eyes on the same thing, the same object. Now, if you're anything like me, you ask the question often of the Bible, so what? That's, what I, that's how I kind of ask, like, what do I do with this? I say, okay, Paul, so what? Why, why are you saying this? Okay, be, have the same mindset. Be one. That seems vague, right? We could organize ourselves around a document or around the fact that we're Baptist or around the fact that we live in one town or a lot of different things. So Paul is going to help clarify by giving us contrast. He's going to show us in verses 3 and 4, okay, this is what it doesn't look like to be of the same mindset, and this is what it does look like. So in verse 3, he says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. So don't do anything um, out of a selfish motive to get what you want or to accomplish just your task. Do, in humility, count others as more significant than yourself. And if you were in the adult discipleship hour when we were talking about work, um, that's one of the things that we talked about as a barrier to being a Christian in the workplace is in corporate America, there's sort of like a, a cutthroat mentality where people will chew you up and spit you out in order to advance in order to to climb the corporate ladder. And we're saying that it's so difficult to be a Christian in that environment because sometimes it means that your career suffers for being faithful to God because you're not willing to stab somebody in the back or you're not willing to make somebody else look bad so that you can advance. Or it could mean um, eating crow, as we say, right? Um, It could mean saying, I made a mistake and it cost our company money, and I'm not going to pass the blame and say that it was Jeremy's fault, right, in the case here, even though he makes way more mistakes than me. No, um, I'm kidding. Um, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take full responsibility for my actions. That goes, this, this wisdom from Paul goes against kind of the natural um, desire for self-preservation that we have He says the same thing in a different way in verse 4. He says, don't look only to your own interests, but also look to the interest of others. So here we've gone from Paul saying, okay, be one in your way of thinking. Have the same mindset. Fix your eyes on the same goal to saying, okay, this is definitely what it doesn't look like. It, It doesn't look like you... Um, looking out for yourself. A good practical example, right, would be um, if there's a person who has a beautiful voice, right, and um, they are, I'm going to use, actually I just changed, changed, called an audible. I'm going to call out Carol exactly, right? Carol, I love singing with Carol. She's got this beautiful, loud voice, right? I remember on Easter, we were singing up here, and I'm like, Carol is overpowering the congregation because out of worship. She's not doing it, right? She's doing it because she's singing to the Lord. I can hear it in her voice. But there are people who in that situation, they want to be heard, right? And while in, in a band, like when you're playing music together, the goal is harmony, 
That means for the sake of the whole, sometimes I have to step back and not play as loud or not sing as loud. But there, there are people who would just sing as loud as they can all the time, even if they can over, they overpower everybody because they don't care about the group making beautiful music together. They care about being heard. They're putting their own needs ahead of the needs of the others. Carol does not do that, thankfully, um, for my sake as the music leader here. Um, but that's a good practical example of how these kind of things happen in our everyday lives. Often we face this, this situation of being tempted to put our own good before the good of others. So Paul has given us this contrast to sort of put flesh on the idea of what does it mean to be one, to fix our minds on one thing. It definitely means looking at each other and saying, okay, am I going to make a decision or do an action or say something um, for my own good only? Or am I considering the good of my brothers and sisters in Christ also? Now, this could be kind of misconstrued or taken in the wrong way to mean, okay, humility means I have to beat myself up, right? It means I have to, you know, like we're off, well, maybe we're not all familiar. The, there's a group of Catholics that um, literally beat themselves, right? They self-flagellation, it's called. And they wear this thing around their leg with hooks in it, and they tighten it, and they, they're trying to hurt themselves so that they'll be more holy. And that's not what Paul is saying here. He's not saying that in order to put the needs of others before you, you have to hate yourself. But rather, he's saying, as you put the needs of others ahead of yourself, you're actually serving yourself. There's a passage in Jeremiah where um, he basically says to the, um, to the, the, the Jews who had been um, sent out all over the, the Babylonian Empire, and he says, when you're there, um, be fruitful, work, have, have family, pray for the country that you're in, because your good is wrapped up in their good. He's basically saying, you're going to be there a while. Um, if they don't have food, you won't have food. If they have drought, you'll have drought. And it's the same principle here as we're together, right? My good, if I really care about um, my own spiritual health, that means I need to be caring about your spiritual health and vice versa. So it's not self-hatred, what Paul is calling us to, and it's also not uniformity. It doesn't just mean we all dress the same, we all look the same, we all say exactly the same thing, even on matters that are um, on the, the periphery of our beliefs that we believe the exact same things. I differ with some of you on musical style, right? I differ with some of you on the importance of choice of um, school or of clothing. Um, Janine playfully, uh, in, in our small group one time, she said, I, when I go somewhere, I want to be the best, not the best dressed person. I want to overdress for the occasion. And I said, yeah, me too. And she, she laughed. <laughs> but, <laughs> Because she knows, okay, that's not, my, that's not what I put emphasis on. 
But Janine and I, as we sit in our small group in my house and we talk about the word, we are encouraged by the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? We're unified around that, even if we're not necessarily uniform in how we look. Now, Paul has said, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and being of one mind. He has given us a contrast that says, this doesn't look like living selfishly for your own desires, um, for your own thoughts about maybe what church should look like or what's important. Um, But we should look to the the needs and the interests of others. Um, And now he's going to go even further and show us to what lengths he's calling us to be unified. To what lengths and what depth are we called to look out for the interests of others? And he's going to use Christ as the example. And honestly, I fall short in many ways. I'm willing to say, you know, musical style, that's one thing I can say, okay, I don't, you know, I want, I want to sing more than just um, a cappella hymns out of the hymnal or out of a psalter in some churches, right? Um, but that's different from the example that Paul is going to give us in Christ. In Christ's example, starting in verse 5, Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, he's going to start to say, this is how Jesus Christ lived out this example of looking out for the interests of others before his own. He says, though he was in the form of God, and I'm not going to go into all the details, this is a difficult passage um, for some people. Um, Though he was in the form of God, and this, the, the, the verb there for he was, it's like a continual, he existed from time past, time forward. He existed in the form of God. He was permanently God. He didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't think it was something that he needed to attain, right? When <clears throat> oftentimes when we are looking at, you know, a good example would be somebody in the church who fancies themselves a teacher, um, they, they might say, wow, I'm such a gifted Bible teacher. I am just going to grasp for that position any way I can. I'm going to write Wayne and Jeremy an email every week and say, I really need to be teaching adult discipleship hour, or I really need to be preaching. Or in musical way, oftentimes um, people will say, you know, I feel like God wants me to serve. And I'll ask um, not, not necessarily in this church and experience in the past. Um, I'll ask, you know, well, okay, well, how does he want you to do that? Well, I think he wants me to sing. Hmm. It's interesting that you choose the thing that is in front of everybody. You know, nobody ever says, God wants me to serve. Um, can I go clean the bathrooms once a week at the church? It's just an interesting example. But Christ, he, even though he was God, he didn't consider it something to attain. He didn't consider it something to um, wrap his, his grip around and say, you, you will not take this from me. This is mine, and you can't take it from me no matter what. Rather, Christ gave it up. He says, uh, Paul continues, and he says, um, though Christ was in the form of God, in verse 5, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. 
being born in the likeness of men. He willingly gave up his right and he took on weakness in humanity in order to serve others and love others. He's doing exactly what Paul is teaching. And he doesn't stop just by becoming human, right? And being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient, right? He didn't just say, okay, I'm going to become a man and live out this super cool Tom Brady life and then so I can identify with people. No. He submitted as a man to God's rule. He submitted to living according to the scripture, according to the law. And Paul takes it even further. He became obedient to the point of death, right? As he prayed in the garden, that's what I was thinking. He said, Lord, if there's any way to take this cup from me, do it. But, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Even when he knew it was going to cost him his life, he looked to the interests of others above his own. And not only to the death, right? Paul takes it even further, but to a shameful death. Jesus, the only person who ever lived who was actually righteous, actually perfect and sinless, without blemish, suffered as a criminal on the cross for us. That is humility. That is love for others. That is looking out to the interest of others before his own. A few other examples other than the, um, the crucifixion that I can think of is there's a, t- a time in the Gospels where after ministering, um, Jesus is he's tired, his disciples are tired, and they go across the lake to the other side so that they can have some rest and pray. And they go with that express purpose. But the crowds had seen them leave. They go rush to the other side of the lake, and when they get there, there's a crowd, right? He came to rest. He came to to pray, to have some relief. And yet, when he saw these people, it says that he looked upon them as sheep without a shepherd. He felt compassion, right? He, he He could have demanded the right to rest. He could have demanded what he rightfully what rightfully belonged to him. Instead, he chose to to minister to those people. He looked to their needs above his own. We see it in um, <clears throat> at the Last Supper when he when they're arguing about who's the greatest. Jesus takes a towel, takes a basin of water, and washes feet. We see it over and over in Christ's life, that he didn't look just to his own needs or his own rights. He looked to the needs of others. And so Paul here has taken this command, complete my joy. He's saying, this is what is going to make me happy. This is what is going to give me joy. You living together as one. Having the same goal, having the same mindset That is what is going to give me joy. And he's gone through and he said, if you want to do that, you can't just live selfishly for your own desires or looking to your own needs. You have to self-sacrificially look to the needs of others. 
He's shown that Christ really paved the way for us to do that. We can look to Paul as an example, and later in Philippians, he says, brothers, join in imitating me. We can look to our Savior. If you really want to know how far God wants us to go in loving one another and serving one another, look no further than Jesus. And now we see that all of that, this command, complete my joy, showing us how we can fulfill that. There's a purpose to it. Paul continues after saying that uh, Jesus humbled himself in verse 8 by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Of God the Father. If God is calling us to have one mind, to fix our minds and our hearts on the same thing, this would be that goal the glory of Christ, the glory of God the Father. That's exactly why Christ did it, right? Um, Hebrews. 12, the author says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This purpose in coming together as one and looking to serve each other's needs and not just looking out for me and mine is for the glory of God. Okay? If we come together for the glory of Memorial Baptist Church, we're going to fail miserably. If we come together for the glory of Wisconsin, we are going to fail miserably. If we come together for the, the glory of America, we're going to fail miserably. If we come together for the glory of humanity, right? Only seeking to help the, the dejected or the, the poorest of the poor. If in, in the name of human beings, that's, that's where we want to put our glory, we have failed. We've absolutely missed the point because Paul is telling us, the same way that Christ fixed his eyes on the glory of God, on the fact that he was going to be exalted, we need to do the same. If we fix our eyes on that, as we seek to be one and to be unified, we'll get there. We'll move forward. Now, in two other places here in Philippians, we see the same idea of being unified for this purpose of God's glory. We can see it in chapter 1, verses 27 through 30, where Paul says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. You see there, 
united, he wants them to be united around the gospel. And who is exalted in the message of the gospel? Our Savior, Christ. And in chapter 3, starting in verse 13, he says, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those, let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And he, he continues in verse 20, um, after saying that some have left, their God is their belly, they glory in their shame, their minds are set on this world, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. If we want to stand firm as a church, if we want to um, continue to have a, a gospel reach in this world and in this community, we need to do it. By coming together around this one thing. Serving one another. Looking to the needs of each other for the glory of God. Now again, I, have to, I always ask myself this question, so what? How does this flesh out? Because as much as Paul has gone to pains to show us, this is what it looks like to be one, to be united in humility as a body. It's still pretty abstract, isn't it? Right? Um, it's hard for me to think of ways where I can uh, be subject and obedient even to the point of death. Because every morning I get up, I take a shower, I drop my son off at school, and I drive here. And it's sort of hard to do that, right? To imagine how I can live that out. So I thought of a few ways that we can do that as a church, practically. First, um, as the author of Hebrews did in the verses that we read not long ago, um, we need to remind each other of the goal. Okay, So one way that we can complete Paul's joy here by being one is by reminding each other, hey, Jesus is the goal. Christ's glory, God's glory is the goal in life, not the other stuff, right? If, um, if we start to be distracted by something in our life, we have each other to remind us, hey, you know, let's, let's put first things first. Okay? So that's one way we can do it. Um, I'm thankful that um, I work with Jeremy. I see him often. We're able to do that for each other. Um, I meet with with Joe Coper to pray every week, we, we do that for each other. It's good that he can remind me, hey, Mike, fix your eyes on Jesus, not on the other stuff. We can remind ourselves of Christ's glory, right? Something that we take for granted, that Christ is actually glorious. And if he is actually glorious, then he actually demands a response from us. Here's one description of 
Christ that should move us to sing, quite honestly. Um, Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15, he says, speaking of Christ, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. If you can read that and not be moved, something is wrong, right? So this is a way that if we see each other being distracted, not being unified, thinking about our own interests, our own worries above the worries of others, we can say, hey, remember Jesus. Remember his example, how he suffered and looked at the, um, the needs of others before his own. Look to how glorious he is, like we sang last week, turn your eyes upon Jesus, right? And the things of this world will grow strangely dim, right? This world won't seem as important to us as we look to Christ in his glory. Let's remind each other of that. Um, practically, we can serve each other. Okay? This is an area where we, I think, excel here in our church. Um, you know, If somebody is sick in the hospital, um, overwhelmed with some situation in their life, we have people who are willing to organize meals to go help them so that they don't have to cook and take that extra time. Um, that is... That's, a, that's something that we do really well here. That's, we can always improve on it, right? Um, but that's a practical way that we can complete Paul's joy by being of one mind. Turning to Romans 12, um, another way is you can use your gifts, right? Um, the analogy of the body is perfect, right? This is exactly why Paul uses it multiple times, because a body is one body made up of many parts, and here we are, one body made up of different parts. In Romans uh, 12, starting in verse 3, Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And that's why we chose those verses from 1 Peter. We need all the gifts working. If you're here in this body, it's not just to take up space in a pew once a week. It's to fulfill a need in the body of Christ. Right? 
I need you, right? And if you're not using your gifts, I'm not as strong. That's, that's just how it goes. Um, that's how it goes. And lastly, one of the most practical ways that we can easily um, put each of these four previous kind of application points, um, put them in, in action, is our member care initiative that we just started, right? There's one, one person that you are responsible for encouraging, praying with, talking to, doing maybe some little gift of service to them, whatever that may be. There's one person where you can say, okay, I'm going to put that person's needs before mine right now, and I'm going to find a way to love them and serve them so that they and I together will be more unified in the body of Christ. Now, granted, the member care initiative is flawed, right? Because, as we can see in Philippians, um, we're not called to just care for one person. We're called to care for each other, right? We're a body that's called to have one mind. We are um, all these individuals who are called to be fixing our eyes on the same goal, right? But the member care initiative is a way for us to practice, right? So don't just focus on that one person. You know, look at the person sitting next to you. If you don't know him or if you don't know him well, think, how can I encourage this person by reminding them of what the end goal actually is? What's the purpose of Christian life? By reminding each other of Christ's glory. If we've lost the taste for it, we need someone to say, hey, Jesus is worth everything. He's worth everything. We need to remind each other to serve one another, to use our gifts. And Paul sums it up well in Romans 13. You know, our, our church, we're moving towards this idea of having maybe the church slogan or motto that's love God, love people, serve the world. Okay? Paul puts it this way. He says in Romans 13, starting in verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. As a church, if we want to, to live out the Great Commission, if we want to love God, love people, and serve the world, we have to start right here. Serving one another, loving one another, reminding each other of the glories of Christ. And when we really get it, when we really get it, we'll be compelled to go. Like Paul says, the love of God compels me. We won't be able to be quiet about it. We'll be in the coffee shop or the supermarket, um, and somebody will say, wow, it's a beautiful day. And we'll just shout, not, maybe not shout, we'll just say, isn't God good? And we won't be saying it for like, oh, I have to say something Christian to be a witness today. It'll just be natural. God's good. It, you know, he's good, period. That should be natural for us to say things like that. Not to be, find a little Christian witness, but just salt and light is salt and light. Okay, if it's lost its saltiness, it's not salt anymore. Um, 
Let's, let's close in prayer and then we're going to sing together. Oh, how good it is, right? To, to dwell together, to worship the Lord together, to live in unity. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you um, that your word is sharper than a double-edged sword. I thank you that um, in one sense we look at you and we look at what you are doing through your word in our life and it looks like you are killing us. It looks like you are wielding a sword that destroys and yet when we look in depth, we see that you're a surgeon who is healing us. We see that your word is um, illuminating darkness in our hearts, in our lives, in our church life. And so we ask, God, that you would help us to align ourselves with your word, to align ourselves with your truth. In this passage, God, you have reminded us how great our need is. And living as an individual, um, we can't fulfill it by ourselves. We need one another. And you've called us here in community to look to the needs of others before our own for our good. So I ask God that you'd help us to find practical ways to do that. I pray that spiritually we would reminding, be reminding each other of your excellencies. Lord, so that when we look at how bright you shine and how precious you are, that we would look at this world and think, oh, houses, boats, human love, whatever that may be, it's nothing compared to the, the love and the glory of Christ my Savior. Help us to do that, Lord. I pray that we would grow in service towards one another. I pray that we would grow in love towards one another and love towards you. And we thank you, Lord, that you've given us this word. You have spoken to us in ways that we can understand. And you've done that knowing that we're going to fail, knowing that we're not going to be able to live this out perfectly. And even in that, Christ, you're glorified. Because all we can say is, Lord... um, we, we are failures in many ways, and yet that's not what earns our right to stand before you. Jesus Christ, his, his broken body, his shed blood, have bought us the right to be called sons and daughters of God. So Lord, as, as we move forward, as we fail, help us to move in the power of the gospel, being driven to exalt you even more as we seek to love one another and put the needs of each other ahead of our own. It is a good thing and a beautiful thing for the church of God to dwell in unity. Help us to be obedient in that. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.